this is Alexis DBF with the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, episode number four. Today, we're going to be talking about a huge topic called the Baby Sleep Power Tools. How huge is this topic? Well, it's so huge, we had to split it into two podcasts. Today is part one. Part two will be following along shortly. The Baby Sleep Power Tools are basically the best thing you can do to help your child fall asleep and stay asleep when they're a newborn. So if you are pregnant or are currently parenting an infant who is under three to four months of age, this is the podcast for you. Let's get started. My name is Ashby Mizell, and I'm here today with Melissa Brander and Alexis Dubieff. We're going to be talking about sleep power tools today. This is going to be a two-part series. And in this part, we're going to cover power tools that can be used to help young babies sleep better. Now, the first thing we should talk about is why do young newborn babies and through six months, why do they sleep so poorly? Uh, I have observed that animals just lay down and sleep. So I was totally unprepared for the fact that a baby is not born knowing how. I've never seen a mother dog shake her puppies for 20 minutes and have to walk around and pace through the house to can get them you, to Can sleep. you imagine if you had like a litter of six and they each needed like oh, 20 minutes of like <laughs> vigorous. 20 minutes. Throw them on your back. Throw them on your back. <laughs> yeah, like the dog method. Yeah, that, that would be too many. Um, so you, you never see them trying to get their babies to sleep. So I guess I hadn't observed many human babies and didn't realize that they weren't born knowing that. Oh, okay, this is like yeah. such a common issue. And, and I, I probably get like a handful of emails each week where people are like, well, you know, we kind of muddled along for a few weeks and we sort of like let the baby just kind of fall asleep when they did and assumed that that would kind of just oh. happen. And, and why would you assume that? I mean, yeah, you're like, well, those, you know, just like they'll poop when they need to and, you know, they'll just kind of figure it out. And then they're like, wow, what, you know, now they're grossly sleep deprived and miserable. And we had no idea that we had like a four week old who would be awake for 10 hours during the day. Um, so I think it's a surprise to a lot of people who just kind of assume like it just kind of happens. Yeah. A lot of times you see babies out and about when they're really little and they're asleep. I think often that's because they just came out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> a little carrier. And it was the car that put them to sleep. They didn't just fall asleep. Yeah. No, it's a big misconception. I had the same issue. Like I remember when Duncan was born, I was like, well, you know, he's not sleeping. Like, shouldn't he be falling asleep? Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So yeah, so we need to help kids fall asleep and we need to help them stay asleep because the other issue is people are like, well, you know, my, my six-week-old takes naps, but 20 minutes later, like clockwork, they're up and it doesn't seem like enough sleep. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's it's not enough sleep. I mean, 20 minutes is is uh, is a blip and a um, newborns are good at 20-minute naps <laughs> and, uh, you know, they need help to get past, you know, these little, like, I call them micro naps. Like, they're so short, it's like, you know you blink and they're up again. Yeah, I mean, because in the womb, before they're born, they're constantly soaked and soothing. The womb is tight, it's enclosed, they're squished. Mm -hmm. They're, because of mom's motion and her body systems, they're constantly bouncing, jiggling. There's the noise of your body is a loud, shushing sound. It's louder than we may think. And during the day when you're active, you, there's tend to be more bouncing and jiggling. And during the night when you're laying in bed, they may be awake more because there's not as much bouncing and jiggling, soothing motion. Yeah, so, I know. The womb is a pretty great place to be, apparently, for a baby. 
No, not for me personally. I'm not. <laughs> no, I, I don't remember either. Uh, when they're, we want to try to, we want to try to sue them in a way that mimics that environment. And so ideally we're going to use tools that don't require us to be involved constantly. So if, if your tool is you bouncing on a yoga ball, that's great, but it's not going to be awesome for 10 hours straight. Yeah. yeah so I want to pause and give credit to uh, Dr. Carp because he was the one who really kind of uh, established and, and innovated this idea of the fourth trimester, basically saying we need to take the environment of the womb, which is so appealing to, to newborns, and, and provide as much of that kind of experience now that they're out. And, um, and that was really a revelation, honestly, uh, that, that babies need more. They need, newborns need more. And that, you know, simply just being, you know, on your back in a silent room, in a crib, you know, just kind of like hanging out. Like this is not, you know, I encourage all parents of newborns to try to have their child sleep in the crib um, and see what happens. I mean, some kids are little unicorns and they're just going to, they're going to sleep great no matter what. But most newborns, and I'm talking about babies under three months here, are not going to sleep well without a substantial amount of assistance. And, um, you know, and for me, Dr. Karp really kind of opened up the horizons of understanding and saying, listen, like <laughs> we need to accept that this is, this is where newborns are. They need a lot of help. And, um, uh, and really kind of formulating a plan to say, how do we, how do we help them in a way that's, that's safe? That's, uh, and as, as we mentioned, that, that's continual because, you know, I, yeah, I can bounce on a yoga ball, um, for 20 minutes, but I can't bounce on a yoga ball for 10 hours at night. And, um, by the way, there are many parents who are bouncing on yoga balls for hours a day, for months. And I mean, it's kind of funny to go, oh, isn't that great? You're going to like lose all the baby weight and get your butt in shape. And it's like, no, that's not a, <laughs> you Sounds know. like a forced march to me, but. Yeah, yeah no, it's torturous. Especially, especially since their circadian rhythm isn't developed yet. Um, right when they're born, then you can't use that in your favor yet, with, like you can with older babies. Mm -hmm. So they just are kind of like all over the place and they need you to help them focus and sleep. Yeah, they don't have like a consistent wake sleep pattern. It's a bit all over the map. And so um, there's not a lot of kind of some, there's not a lot going on inside a, a, a newborn sort of biology that's helping you out. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, a free, you know, it's like the Wild West basically on the sleep Yeah, people think, uh, why, why can't I get my baby, my baby sleeps from 9 to 11 p.m. and then is up for an hour. How can I get them back to sleep? And often the answer for a newborn is because they're really just taking a series of naps. Yep. At the 24-7 cycle. There is no, it's not like us where if we wake up, go to the bathroom, we might go right back to sleep. Um, but, but again, this is a key insight because <clears throat> if you if you see like the fact that they're awake from 1 to 3 in the morning as a problem, it's yeah. now a frustrating battle. Right, and instead we need to go. Okay, our new one to three a.m. I was gonna say one to three a.m. Netflix and me BFF. I like, know that's right? how you gotta Netflix. see it. So you guys are Netflix generation. I had to watch like you know like Buffy the Vampire Slayer re reruns on T TBS <laughs> like one more. But the point is, um, if you if you accept that this is how it's gonna be, then we approach our night going, okay, what is our plan? Are we gonna alternate? You know, parents taking turns. What's our plan here? Because the idea that we're going to go to bed at 10 o'clock and get any amount of sleep is, is a fiction. We're going to have to plan to be up. But back to the power tools. So, Ashby, you mentioned this. The, 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 the penultimate uh, 
sorry, I should say the ultimate um, power tool is, is really you. And a lot of newborns sleep great as long as they're on you. Uh, in your arms, on your lap, being nursed, being walks, being rocked, being bounced. And, um, and this is both a, a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, there's nothing more precious than like a little, you know, eight pound, uh, nugget nestled in your arms. I mean, it's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful, <laughs> wonderful thing. And, you know, and I encourage you to enjoy it on occasion, <laughs> But the curse is, is this is the only way your child will sleep. Meaning, you know, you can either hold them for three hours and they'll take a huge nap or you can put them down and it's 20 minutes. Um, this can be a really vicious cycle and challenging to break out of. It's mm -hmm. almost impossible to sleep safely in this arrangement. Um, people think that co-sleeping means your child on your chest or your child. No, co-sleeping safely is not your child on you. It's your child near you. And so again, yeah. like the, so a lot of babies to them, they might as well be in the crib if they're next to you. Next well, to you that's, that's yeah. you know, that's, that's, I think a great topic for another podcast, but, <laughs> but I, I want to be clear that like, you know, if you, know, you sleeping on your back with a child sleeping on your chest, this is not, this is not even what the co-sleeping proponents would say is safe mm -hmm. co-sleeping. So that's not, so, so the whole sleeping on you thing is, is not uh, a safe arrangement for sleep if you're asleep. So it's great during a nap while you're watching, getting your Netflix on and the child's on your, on your lap, but it's not that functional at night. Um, it, it's almost impossible to sustain this if you have older siblings. I mean, you know, yeah. there's only so many hours your older child is going to kind of <laughs> play with Duplos while you're sitting there with a newborn on your lap. And um, it's really challenging to get out of, meaning if we spend three or four months with a child on our lap for all naps, we're effectively teaching a child that that's how we sleep. And that's a mm -hmm. really, really strong sleep association that can be very, very challenging to get out of later. So sure, sometimes like cuddling a, a newborn and holding a newborn and having a newborn on your lap, and it's, it's a really wonderful thing. But if this is the only thing that works or what we're doing all the time, it's a dead end road. It leads us nowhere good. Uh, sometimes it leads to unsafe sleep practices and it's just not sustainable. So plus as a mom, as a mom, you have needs too. You need to eat. You yeah. need to go to the bathroom, Pooping. things like that. Pooping and is not easy with a newborn that is sleeping on you. It's very challenging. <laughs> Do you speak from personal experience? I will admit to nothing uh, ah, okay. in this forum, but yeah. I have perhaps heard stories of awkwardness that has ensued. Yes. Um. So yeah. So. So I think that's kind of a trap. It's yes, it's enormously soothing to hold a newborn. Um, some people will speak to baby wearing as a great solution. And again, if it's sometimes baby wearing, so your newborn can nap while you're at the park with a toddler or while you, you know, get out of the house and go for a walk once in a while, it's a wonderful thing to do. But if we're doing four baby wearing naps a day, again, we're teaching the child that this is how we sleep. It's not sustainable. We can't do it at night. And it sort of gets back to that. Where is, where is this road leading? Where are we going to end up in, you know, two months, three months, four months, where are we going here? So that's why I like my, um, I was going to say my dad says when I was a baby, I was a really unhappy baby and they were just, he would drive around on the back roads with me for hours to get me to sleep. And they're like, that's not a sustainable solution either. I love right. my dad for helping me sleep, but, um, 
I know oh. that must have been hard on him to drive around every night because that was the only way I would sleep. I have driven around <laughs> for hours at night also, and uh, not sustainable. Not sustainable. So when we look at the power tools, we're trying to say, well, what is sustainable and what what gives us a nice exit strategy so that we can use them when children are young and need a lot of help, but also that we can kind of gently and gradually make adjustments as they get older and we're not sort of stuck in a dead-end path of, you know, now what? One thing that is sustainable almost indefinitely is white noise. So a lot of adults will sleep with a fan on or... I know I did when I was in the dorms, had a fan. Noisy dorms. Yep. No, white noise is fantastic. And um, again, this gets back to Dr. Karp kind of really opening up our kind of discussion and dialogue about how do we help newborns with the idea that the womb was very noisy and that from a newborn's perspective, the world they're living in now is is definitely silent. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, numerous studies on white noise basically show that uh, children sleep better, um, cry less, uh, and uh, and it's really a wonderful tool to use when your child is sleeping. Yeah, especially if you have older siblings that can help block out some of the noise that they make, too. Because um, I know once you have a second kid, you're always worried about your first kid waking up the second kid, especially yeah. if it took you a long time to get the second kid to sleep so that white noise can help make a buffer between the normal sounds of your house and um, help keep them sleeping. I think a lot of people stumble on the white noise almost accidentally. They'll be holding the baby in one arm, vacuuming in the other, and lo and behold, the baby fell asleep or put put the baby in the bouncy chair, took a shower. We had kind of uh, extreme issues with Jenkin, but um, (laughs) there were, were months where the only way he would sleep was while in a baby carrier and with the fan, I mean, the blow dryer on. I mean, once he was asleep, I could turn the, the, the blow dryer off. But I mean, I literally had to stand there with the blow dryer bouncing. And I remember like in this like position going, wow, you know, nobody, nobody mentioned this in my baby class. Like this is not how the, the picture that was painted. Um, the other thing that hair was dryers, not just for hair. I know, right? And the other thing that was frustrating is you could not stop moving or sit down. So there was no like get him asleep and then sit down and eat lunch. Like you had to basically just kind of like, like, Path, you know, have a little path around the living room for like an hour and a half. But, um, you know, but that was how we were helping him was to get the, the light, the noise loud enough that it would, it would help him to settle. Um, I do want to discuss just briefly because this comes up on occasion. Uh, I call it the rat study as though there's only one. I mean, of course, there's, you know, millions of studies involving rats, but there was one specifically that was looking at um, raising um, baby rats in in a uh, deafeningly loud um, white noise chamber. And um, of course, the rats who were raised in this continual deafeningly loud noise chamber grew up kind of weird. And sometimes people look at this and go, oh, we shouldn't be using white noise. It's, um, look at the weird rats. We don't want our children to be weird rats. So we're not gonna do that. Um, I would say this is a mistake. First of all, it was really deafeningly loud and it was continuous. It was never ending. Um, it was the entirety of their existence. So they were never exposed to any other sound. Uh, so it doesn't reflect the way we're using white noise. The mm-hmm. other thing is we're using white noise when they're sleeping. So there's plenty of time for your child to be exposed to the range of sounds that the world has to offer um, when they're not sleeping. We are talking about white noise that's about um, 60 decibels uh, in volume, which is the 
roughly the volume of a shower. And having done a lot of research into like the different levels of sound that things have, 60 decibels is pretty moderate. Average conversation is 60 decibels. So this is not, um, you know, this is not like the sound of construction or a jackhammer. This is, you know, fairly moderate noise. Um, and again, primarily we're only using it when they're asleep. So it's not, uh, you know, all day long. So I just wanted to touch on that because yeah. I'm always hearing about the rat study and I'm like, eh, no, that's not your Yeah, job. that represents a misuse of white noise, not good use of white noise. No. Oh, one other um, thing we can use for to mimic the environment of the womb would be a swaddle. So while in utero, babies are cramped, they're tight, their limbs are curled up in the fetal position and they're snug. So when they come out, they are flailing their arms randomly. And sometimes it's hard to even tell if they're asleep when they're not swaddled. I mean, I thought, well, if my baby's moving his arms and legs continuously, how could he possibly be asleep? Uh, if your baby's eyes are closed, your baby is asleep. <laughs> and that's really not that no, because they grunt, they groan, they moan, yes. they snort, they kick. If their eyes are closed, and they're doing all that. They are very noisy and active. Yes. Nobody um, told me how noisy oh, newborns oh, were, but you're laying there at night and you can hear them like grunting and making all these little noise. And you're like, are they awake? But they look like they're asleep, but they're making all this noise. Do I make that much noise in my sleep? <laughs> and... <laughs> Flail my arm. I, I'm pretty sure that when Duncan was a newborn, I was probably picking him up at least five times more than he needed to because I was oh, convinced yeah. there was a problem because I didn't understand that all of that was just normal. I thought, oh, he's uncomfortable. Oh, he's something's yeah. wrong. He's got gas. He's hungry. Something's not right. And, um, and I, I think where a lot of I think a lot of the concern about oh, I think my baby has gas pains because he's grunting. Maybe he does have gas pains, but all that grunting is completely normal. Yeah. It's just the way they breathe and nasal passages are. So the thing about swaddling that um, I think people get hung up on is while they're swaddling their kid, they are fighting and protesting and screaming yep. and people go, oh my God, he hates this. I am torturing my child. And there's a lot of great YouTube videos of people swaddling their babies. And these babies are just screaming. And I love those videos because it shows that the, the point of swaddling is not that the process of being swaddled is enjoyable and babies are just like loving it. The point is that even if your child is fighting and just not happy about the whole process, once swaddled, it's going to be far easier for that child to fall asleep or stop crying or calm down than they would have in the unswaddled scenario. So we can't get too hung up on, oh my gosh, like look at what's going on and he's, you know, he's fighting and kicking and oh, this is terrible. The issue is that it's very, very calming position for children to be in and their arms are super flabby. And those yeah. flappy arms will wake them up. They don't have a lot of control. Their arms are basically randomly flapping about. And they will flap themselves awake by batting themselves in the head. And um, so the swaddle really, really prevents that. And it really, most kids are out of the swaddle. I don't know when you're, I mean, most kids are out of the swaddle three, four months. I will admit mine <laughs> were swaddled far longer than that. I don't know. How, when were your guys' kids out? Five months. Five months? We didn't swaddle. No, you're unswaddling? Yeah. Um, I, I have uh, semi-unicorn babies. Yeah. She's like, my kids just fell asleep. Mine did not just fall asleep. Mine were swaddled excessively long, and I'm not going to admit here how long it went on. 
I will say we had reflux and a whole bunch of things going on. So we're we're like the out the weird outliers when it comes to that. But most kids, it's a couple of months. Um, you know, and and you don't need any you know fancy uh, technology typically. I like the Velcro swaddlers just because they're kind of idiot proof and at two in the morning, I just kind of like the convenience. Um, but swaddling is enormously beneficial. And if you were going to do nothing else for your newborn, white noise and swaddling would be like my number one recommendation for anybody who has a baby under three months. Even if you haven't been swaddling and they're two months old or 12 weeks old, I, I would I would consider introducing it. So that's my... It's important to um, swaddle correctly and there are tons of resources out there to show you videos to show you how to swaddle correctly because if we, you don't we do can it put correctly, some links, we'll put some links in the show notes as well so yes. we'll give you some uh yes. some ideas on how to do it safely yes so if you don't clear, do it correctly it's either going to be unsafe or ineffective and neither are really helpful so yeah yeah and when we mean swaddling we mean arms their arms are in tight the, the legs are uh, less important if People say, well, I'm going to start swaddling with arms out. Well, if you're swaddling with arms out, you're not swaddling. I know. There is no arms out. That's just not There swaddling. is no arms out. Then, then you just put a, a piece of clothing that, on That's like saying, I'm dieting except for these cupcakes. Like, <laughs> there's no. That's just no. Um, so what? I can't safe... go on the cupcake diet? No. I'm going to no, go on the cupcake there diet. There is no cupcake diet. Um, I will say, just to be clear on swaddling, um, all newborns should be placed on their backs to sleep all of the time, no matter what. Uh, this is a non-negotiable rule for young babies. Um, that goes doubly true for swaddled babies. Never put a newborn who is swaddled face down. If your child is face down and swaddling, they're at a much higher incidence of SIDS. And um, so just make sure that everyone who cares for your child, daycare, in-laws, whoever, uh, understands clearly the rule and the importance of back sleeping for newborns. Um, all right, we have another power tool to talk about today. The pacifier. A controversial one. Ooh. Oh, so controversial. <laughs> well, uh, the pacifier, unlike your breast in your child's mouth, does not require your constant intervention. Um, Alexis, do you want to speak to some of the positive yeah, things? So I have, yeah, so I have like a, I have, I used to have a lot of mixed feelings about the pacifier. And, um, I had to revisit a lot of the research about it for the book. And basically the research has convinced me that the pacifier is an amazing tool that we want to use when our babies are young. So there used to be a lot of concerns about um, the pacifier causing nipple confusion or leading to bad nursing outcomes. And that has all been pretty much debunked. In fact, there's a pretty compelling body of evidence that says that nursing moms who use pacifiers are more successful um, we don't know why exactly. One of the theories is that because it gives you a break, you know, it yeah. allows you to breathe a little. Um, if your still, nipples aren't being chafed raw. Yeah, right. When you're not getting mastitis from, you know, yeah. you can get a breather. And also that uh, it, 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 uh, and it meets your child's need to suck without, you know, kind of grinding you into a, a ball. So, 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 you know, that whole idea that, you know, you have to wait until nursing's well established or that it's going to undermine your nursing goals, that, that's been largely put to bed. So we can introduce pacifiers fairly early on um, without issue or concerns on that front. The other issue with pacifiers, though, is that often uh, when children are older, the pacifiers 
uh, cause sleep problems. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But because of people's concerns about wanting to avoid having problems with this pacifier, they don't want to introduce them in the first place. Like, why start with this thing if it's going to cause problems? Well, the reason why you... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, that's sort of with all these, except with the exception of white noise, but... You know, the pacifier could cause problems down the road. Eventually, there will be no swaddle large enough to contain your child. And they're all things that really can't be permanent, except the white noise. But um, that's not a reason not to design. These are survival tools, and they're age-appropriate. And they will naturally grow out. They will grow out of their need for them, and they can be coaxed to give them up. But for some reason, I, I don't know, just anecdotally, I find people really resistant to the pacifier. And I think it's because, well, like... I'm going to kindergarten with a pacifier, you know? Yeah, right? They're, they're hoping they're going to get out of braces. Like, I don't want to pay for braces. Yeah. We're not using them. But I think, you know, what really convinced me and, and kind of got me over my hesitation is the fact that the using a pacifier when your child falls asleep has been shown to lead to a dramatically lower, you know, incidence of SIDS. Like, significantly lower. Now, we don't know why... And it doesn't seem to matter if the pacifier falls out. We just know that if we have a pacifier, we offer a pacifier while they're falling asleep, that they're less likely to die, frankly. And to me, that uh, trumps any potential sleep issues we might have, you know, when they're eight months or ten months, um, that it's worth making a really solid effort to embrace the pacifier when they're younger for that reason alone. Yeah. Give it a try. But many won't, but many will. Yeah, but don't freak out if your baby doesn't that they're going to die because no. some kids, you can just try like every pacifier and they still won't take it. Yeah. And that doesn't, it, you're not like instantly dooming them no, just because no, no. they won't take it. But definitely make the effort and, you know, buy a couple of pacifiers, try more than one, you know, size or brand and offer offer, you know, offer a couple, you know, let's make an effort to see if we can make this stick. And, you know, if they're just not into it, they're just not into it. But um, that's another argument, by the way, for introducing a pacifier earlier. You know, I think the advice used to be like to wait eight weeks. And by that time, they're like, no, there's a boob here. Why would I want that? So, you know, kind of starting earlier and seeing what you can make happen um, with the pacifiers is just a really good idea. And it's not a problem. By the way, pacifiers do not cause sleep problems for all children. And, you know, we can we can get out of pacifier use later. It's not like, the, you know, the options are not no pacifier or pacifier until they're five and getting bullied in kindergarten. Like, there's there's a lot of middle ground about, you know, how long we use them and how we get rid of them. So it's, um, you know, it's not forever. Our, our, another power tool we have is the swing. And I know that a lot of uh, grandparents of our children probably think of those bucket swings that went back and forth. And I know my father spent many nights cranking his <laughs> the swing. Crank. swing. Hmm. Yeah. So that's not the kind of swing we're talking about because for especially for really little babies, I mean, that one's upright, their head can slump. It's not a good environment for a newborn. I mean, they're fine during the day for older babies to sit and chill in, but not for a newborn, not for sleep. We're talking about the kind that's sort of like a bassinet, and it rocks back and forth or forward and back. It's flat with a slight incline. Yeah. There's rock and bumps. plays. There's motorized rock and plays now, too. Yeah, yeah so. rock and plays that kind of mimics that same motion. A lot of babies, some are, you know, suck junkies, and they love the boob. They love the pacifier, but many are also motion junkies. And if you're one of those 10 hours of yoga ball parents, 
um, it may, your, your child may respond well to a swing. Again, it doesn't require your intervention all night. Yeah, if you're having a really hard time getting your newborn baby to fall asleep or stay asleep, meaning we get the 20 minute nap or they're waking hourly all night long, um, the swing is a really helpful tool. And uh, what Ashby's talking about is really a modern swing. So, you know, this is not one of those things you want to get, kind of get, you know, you know used um, unless it's a relatively new swing. Because the modern swings, a fully reclined modern swing is really pretty recumbent. I mean, they're not sitting up. They're, they're very much lying down. Um, I will say that a swing is something that I, I would always encourage you to talk about with your pediatrician first. Some uh, premature babies or particularly floppy babies, we never want a child who's like slouched uh, really anywhere. We don't want them slouched in the car seat. We don't want them slouched in the swing. So um, it's just a good conversation to have with a pediatrician. Most pediatricians I've found are very swing supportive. Um, there's not a lot of good data on swings or swing use. Um, so it's just... And I know some of the, um, the stories of young babies dying in the swing, I mean, they've really just been egregiously incorrect uses of the swing. I know mm -hmm. Alexa shared with us a case yeah. of two premature twins who were they were in one short, swing. They were sleeping in one swing. Yeah, no, so there that are some say, tragic yeah. stories. Um, and that to me doesn't say swings are unsafe. It just says that use of a swing was unsafe. The gross mis well, gross misuse of any you know infant sleep device is going to lead to a bad outcome. But um, but yeah, so swings can be great, and they're they're really. Um, you know, the modern swings, uh, you know, run on batteries and uh, are a bit noisy. You know, you get a bit like the gunk, 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 but, um, but babies love It them. becomes like white noise for parents. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like when, when my yeah. kids are little and we're sleeping in the swing, it's like, it's so repetitive. It's like white noise for me. Although I will say, I don't like the white noise that comes with the swing, ironically enough. So they, the noise they make, I find actually to be kind of grating and it's not white noise. It has like, you know, it's like jungle noise or whatever. So I, I, I don't actually like the swing white noise, like get your own white noise, whether it's an app or one of those $20 devices yeah, from... Bed my experience was really quiet too. And yeah, I don't, nope. I'm not a fan. Yeah. But putting the child in the swing is really, really helpful. And I find that for a lot of parents who are struggling with newborn sleep, um, where it's like really, really bad. And I'm talking like 20 minute naps all day long, waking hourly all night, all night at night. That, that literally like the swing is the one tool that kind of tips them over into more of a manageable, livable um, path. And the swing is actually a really nice tool to teach uh, independent sleep in a gentle way that can be gradually weaned off of in the future. So, you know, for again, for most of us, the swing is a couple of months. It's not forever. You know, we get out of it. Um, we have a Facebook group and, and we often see a lot of angst on there like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get my kid out of the swing. And then three days later, like, oh, oh, he's sleeping in the crib. I can't. Oh, that, that was no big deal. Like, I, um, and I love those posts. Like, I always want to like, create like a little like, document and save them all and be like, listen, this does actually work. You're not going to be in that swing until college. Yeah, they do grow out of their need for that bouncing soothing. They grow out of it, and then they're when they're when they're as they get older, they don't need as much, and and we can kind of gradually back off some of these tools. But the first few months are are rough, and I think parents need to know that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon, you know, and we need to kind of approach this from like how are we going to get through the next 
how are we going to how are we going to thrive over the next four months and help our child learn how to sleep, help make sure we're getting enough sleep so that we can be the parents we want to be and really enjoy this time as much as possible instead of just being like trotting through with you know gritting teeth and white knuckles. Um, yeah. And white noise and swaddling and the pacifier and the swing are all tools. You may need to use some or all of those. And it's a yeah. And I want to emphasize that we're saying we can use all of these together. Yeah. It's not one or the other. We can swaddle them, put a pathy in, put them in the swing. I will say, I you know, you kind of start with the easy stuff and see what happens. I mean, white mm-hmm. noise is easy, right? Stick an old alarm clock, set it static, swaddling. We all have swaddling blankets. I mean, that is you know something that I think most parents are given as gifts. Pacifier, as mentioned, uh, because of the safety reasons, we want to offer. And um, again, buy two or three different sizes, different manufacturers, give it a try. Try Start there. Start with those three things and see where it gets you. You might find that 20-minute naps become hour-long naps with just that those three things. If those three things are not sufficient... Or, you know, the pacifier is a fail, but no, you know, your best effort, just kids not taking it, we're still struggling, then it's time to maybe consider investing in a swing, which is, of course, a larger <laughs> amount of money, um, you know, 100 to $200. But, um, but that would be, you know, plan B if plan A doesn't, doesn't make things better. Yeah, yeah we, we were given a swing, and I say it's probably been like the most helpful thing, like, we never swaddled or white noise or anything, but that swing was like enough for my kids. And like, if you notice, like for our kids, like as soon as you put them in the car, like bam, they were asleep. So like, we don't have a yoga ball, but I knew that motion soothed them. And so the swing was a really good fit for them. So like, if you notice, like if you're walking around a lot or if you're in the car and your kid falls asleep right away, um, then those might be signs that a swing would be a good fit for your kid. If your kid is screaming in the car the entire time, then yeah. maybe not. Maybe not emotion junkie. But I, but I do yeah. tell people, I'm like, you know, if you can borrow one, like if you have a friend yeah. who has a toddler but is pregnant and maybe isn't using their swing and is willing to let you try it for a few weeks, because it is a pretty big ticket item. Um, you know, I, honestly, I'll tell you, I, I don't, some people even buy the really fancy Mamaru brand swings. And I'm like, you know what, let's try it before we invest $200 and just to sort of see, because, you know, you're going to know pretty much immediately within three to four days, you're going to have a really good sense of if this is helping or kind of not making a difference. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so a lot of really great tools you can use. Um, a lot of really great options for parents of newborns that we can use while they're young and gently wean out of as they get older. And we'll talk about kind of our exit strategy with all of these tools in a future podcast. Um, we're also going to talk about power tools part two, and uh, that's because there's actually one big power tool that we didn't talk about today, and we're going to keep it a mystery uh, until we reconvene to discuss the biggie. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, white noise, swaddling, pacifier, swing, um, just to give a shout out, uh, Dr. Karp's um, Happy Baby in the Block, the DVD, is a fantastic resource on kind of visually looking at how these things work together and and just kind of like being able to see how they work versus just listening about it or reading about it. So, you know, if you can pick that up, um, buy a copy or grab it at the local, you know, library, that's definitely worth your time and effort to check out. We'll put some resources, some links to YouTube videos, how to safe swaddling, um, 
you know, there's some white noise um, YouTube videos that you can actually just play for your child. A bunch of white noise apps. We'll put some links to all of these things in the show notes on the webpage. Uh, and hopefully that'll be enough to get you kickstarted on your newborn soothing. That brings our podcast to a close, but don't forget, there's a part two on baby sleep power tools. And if you're parenting a newborn or pregnant, you won't want to miss out on this because it's a huge topic. So go on over to iTunes and subscribe to make sure you'll get notified when number two becomes available. Additionally, there's a website, www.preciouslittlesleep.com backslash podcast, where you can find tons of resources, show notes, as well as a comment form. Drop us a note. Let us know what you think, what we can do better, questions you like answers, or topic we should be looking into. Lastly, if you have a moment and you don't mind leaving a positive review on iTunes, that's always appreciated. Positive reviews are like a warm hug, and we love hugs. Mm-hmm.